Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Raphael. How are you? Oh, I'm, I'm great. I mean, you just, you're back in uh, New York, so I feel like. Yeah, it was a long trip. Yeah, you, you, uh, you went reverse interstellar. <laughs> you crossed the Atlantic uh, back to Europe. How was it? Yeah. Well, first of all, the flight was nice because it was maybe 10% occupied. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, it's funny, the KLM Delta, they have these three or four flights a day between New York and Amsterdam. And I mean, they're only 10% occupied. So I'm like, why didn't you consolidate the flights? Just do one. Are they um, government they subsidized really... or something? Like, how are they? Isn't the entire world now government subsidized? I don't know. But yeah, for sure, uh, it's such a strategic importance to a country to be uh, reachable when things are back to normal. So they can't let the air bu- airlines uh, go bust or whatever. I don't know. But. I asked the flight attendants, like, oh, why don't you consolidate the flights and whatever? And she's like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Everybody, it just seemed like an imaginary, like, everything's fine, I guess. Yeah. 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 What can you do when everything... But but as far as, as comfort, it's it's nice when you have 20 seats to yourself. But just like the... I wonder if they only put like 10% much, as much fuel in the plane, like... Oh, it just I seems know. like but such they, an they did say that the the, the cargo uh, was full, so they still make money on that. Okay, because it's like private yeah. jets flying all over the world right now. Oh, because people don't want to be near other people. No, I mean in theory, like there's ten oh, pe- yeah. ten people on a jumbo jet. No, ten percent. So I, okay. I was I was counting. I walked around the plane. I was counting. Okay, sixty rows average about. 10 seats per row, maybe in the front a bit less, so 550, and then I counted about mm, 55 I see. people. I see, I see. Yeah. So maybe they, maybe, like, maybe the break even for flying is uh, better than we think. I always thought the margins were extremely slim. Yeah. I mean, it, it, that's funny now. Whenever people talk about business, they keep saying, oh, yeah, the restaurant business, the margins are terrible. <laughs> oh, yeah, this and this, the margins. Are, nobody did the work. It's like, it went yeah. up to like 500 restaurants and be like, okay, what are your margins like? Yeah. I can I, I do keep hearing this margin things. I, I feel like I need to expose the margins of all these industries very specifically, and then let, and then talk. Well, through. Don't, don't you through FreshBooks? You basically have access to anyone's bookkeeping, and you can just <laughs> run an AI. <laughs> no, but I can't. I uh, th- in theory, I can see how many hours they worked, what they charge for their work, um, but the margin would be calculated from the total cogs, which not everyone tracks, which is the cost of goods sold, right? Like, and the fully loaded. Um, like cost would include the cost of ac- acquiring a customer, right? The, and the cost, or the or the cost of like everything around an employee, like their desk, everything. There, so there's to see. You're right. If someone has put in, you know, done accurate accounting, and they do have the 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 what's called like the perfect image or complete books. In theory, yeah, you should be able to get a really precise view of their. Margin, and especially anyone who's going out and raising money would have to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But usually when you do that calculation, it doesn't look very good. Because um, most of humanity uh, is just barely skimming by. Just think of your own month to month. and Sometimes you're going to have these moments of great surplus. But then you have these sort of fallow uh, yeah. moments. I, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts by comedians, and they kind of... Same as artists, they know they have to have a buffer. So that I have about yeah. savings enough to make it through a year. So if, if I get sick or there's something bad or whatever. So now this happens and they're like, okay, I was prepared for this. And, and then they were like, 
why don't airlines and banks have a year's worth of savings and we have to as individuals? Well, because the cost of debt is cheaper than the cost. Yeah, of I understand it kind of, mm. but it's still weird that they're like, oh, government, <laughs> please help us. Yeah. <laughs> and, but if you had money in a savings account today, you earn on average, like just in a regular savings account, 0.05%. Yeah. Meaning you great. make $2 on $5,000 a year, which means like if you After put... Inflation. Yeah, exactly. You actually lose money by saving money, <laughs> which is just I, like I we're was, living yeah. in a really topsy-turvy world. It's funny. I was really naive about inflation. I thought, oh, that's some <laughs> government-mandated amount and et cetera. And same as interest. It's like set. But yeah. it's really just literally you go to the supermarket and you're like, oh, these strawberries are kind of expensive. Like, that's, <laughs> yeah, it that's creeps up on you for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm... And I'm uh, there's a... <laughs> No, how much? How much does a small, regular-sized box of strawberries cost? Okay, where you are? for me, a liter of strawberries would cost at a high point four ninety-nine, average three ninety-nine. I would buy them at two ninety-nine. Yeah. So uh, yesterday, I went to the grocery store here ni- nearby, and they were seven ninety-nine. Oh no, that is ridiculous. <laughs> but but yeah, I'm like in, Mr. Burns. In, are you in kidding all me? Defi- in defense. <laughs> It was the best box of strawberries. It's, it's not a special supermarket, and it was a regular Were they local, brand, local strawberries? No, but they were just, they're small. I, oh, I don't yes, like the strawberries are too big. So they were all tiny, and none of them were moldy, and et cetera. So it was like, wow, this is, eh, we've been having good luck with berries lately. The blueberries yeah. were very sweet. Too. Meanwhile, you'd be like, get me, I mean, you wouldn't do this, but a cocktail would be like twelve ninety nine, and you'd be like, get me three of those <laughs> in a row. Yeah, knock them back. The, 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 because I don't drink, I save a lot of money, but... Yeah. Uh, uh, it's funny, especially in the Netherlands. I know there's there's this sort of um, taboo of having, for example, someone who cleans your home. It, it's something you should do yourself in an egalitarian society. You don't have a butler. Mm-hmm. But then they will easily spend 50 bucks a night on booze. Mm-hmm. But they're like... 50 bucks a month for someone to come in once a month and do some uh, maintenance it's like, no no that's too fancy <laughs> yeah 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 i mean money is a very psycholo- psychological right it's a it's the belief I, I, in some system i always yeah i always think that you uh you have you 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 act as if you grew up in wartime and <laughs> you're making so much more than you could yeah i don't know it's it's funny but my father growing up had this he was actually my dad was getting mad at me this weekend for not spending enough money or something. Um, and he was like, uh, you know, I was like, what are you talking about? Like, And I, so I repeated back this saying to him that when I was growing up, and <clears throat> he said, a fool and his money are soon parted. And uh, he would say that to me over and over again. So I laugh, you know, because essentially, yeah. you know, there's a certain, you, you always wonder why are wealthy people so stingy? And I don't want to defend the one person. Yeah, but but, like, but then it's yeah, then it's like, is it is it important to be wealthy, or, or would you rather just enjoy? Um, well, it's not that. It's not that. Like, yeah, I guess you're right. Like, there's a, it, there's a certain abstraction to wealth at a certain point. And I'm not wealthy. I, I mean, I'm not not wealthy. I, I think by American standards, you have to, it's like it's all relative, right? Actually, relative. Maybe that's the way we get into the movie review this week. But anyway, like, yeah, no, but it is. <laughs> it, it, the movie starts off in this era where everyone's. Uh, just surviving so we are talking about wartime and crisis and all well this actually stuff. it's, a, it's yeah. a very similar time to the one we're in <clears throat> right yeah. if, you, if you think about yeah. you know what's happening not only with the pandemic but with like climate change fires in california i mean 
That was the, the last few weeks since we last recorded have been kind of like apocalyptic. Yeah, yeah. And so it, it the, yeah, the movie we're going to review this week is 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 Christopher Nolan's Interstellar. Takes place, um, you know, during <clears throat> like some. It seems like it's t- supposed to be the present, actually, because the cars and stuff. An are alternate all... reality, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 an alternate reality in the present. But it's a, but the a... technology at, at NASA is a little more advanced than we have. <clears throat> so, so let's say it's two generations in or something. Some, yeah, maybe. Um, but it's like, should we summarize the movie? I, f- I feel oh, like Jesus probably everybody Christ. saw it. Or, or you think? What do you think? Cause, well, just because summarizing it, 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 how are we going to do that? It's like, no, I, I, maybe the premise. So the, okay. the premise is like every sci-fi movie, things are terrible, the future's terrible. Mm-hmm. So there's a blight, all the crops have died except corn. It's like a new dust uh, bowl. It's, yeah. yeah, people are poor and scared. They're not hopeful for the future. They're more focused on surviving. Mm-hmm. And uh, space travel has been sort of become a taboo because it's a sign of decadence like why would you go to space if you have to fix earth first yeah and then uh, matthew mcconaughey is an all right all right all right yeah <laughs> and there's all kinds of trouble he gets a mysterious signal he finds nasa and they send him to space to save everybody yeah that's a great summary <laughs> yeah and he does yeah and uh. then there's a lot of there's a lot of uh tropes from physics like sort of theory of relativity and some quantum stuff and some well, gravitational lenses <clears throat> and, it's and worth they, it, yeah they slide all that in so it's it's a, a science-oriented movie yeah and so it, i mean i, I said this is going to be a good one because i don't even know where to start because there's, there's so much good and well, bad I, I, I can start i can start okay. I, I appreciate the music in the movie and zimmer it's i listen to the soundtrack it's one of the few that i listen to even yeah. when i'm not you know just for fun if Although, i have to get a difficult I, project done as you might know, I'm I'm anti-mainstream, so it's okay, Hans Zimmer, but he's also very mainstream, and he pulls a lot from a lot of other minimal composers, like Philip Glass and stuff. Yeah, or or Terry Riley or other mm-hmm. people, and this is like an ocean of these uh, this genre. There's a lot of them. This mathematical and, organ genre. <laughs> yeah, and and I'm just suspicious because he also did The Lion King and other soundtracks. I'm suspicious mm-hmm. that he's the watered down version, but I'm not enough of an expert. To actually prove that so if if this was uh yeah. more contemporary electronic music or uh metal punk or whatever then i could with confidence but i'm just i'm suspecting that he is a derivative mm-hmm. yeah i mean i think but that, it's it's effective in the movie but it's also like well it's funny that we would start with music but it, it's interesting because first of all the music is mathematical but then it's supposed to be spiritual right like because it's all organ based yeah, which I find very easy. It's like, okay, how do you make music that hits you in the gut and is emotional? It's like, oh, church organ. <laughs> it's so easy. And, yeah. and all the stuff of like, how do you make people feel the idea of loss? Oh, what if you're uh, separated from your children? Yeah. And then you'd cry. And then there's organ music. It just seems <laughs> so easy. <laughs> I think that's, you're right, that, that that's the, the primary criticism thrown at this movie is that it's it really uses every trick in the book to make you feel both empty and then hopeful again at the same yeah, time. Yeah, I, I have to say, like it, I enjoyed watching the movie because I wanted to articulate why I think it's such a dumb piece of shit. <laughs> but I just I just remember watching the movie and the whole time I just kept thinking of the word stupid. Oh, this is so stupid. But this at the same so time, stupid. it's a movie that really tries to do the right thing and being smart. For example, like yeah, Kip but Thorne. it does it in a stupid way. Like it it's 
do you ever go on a tourist destination and there's a tour guide and then they go like, what do we call this rock formation? <laughs> no. And then someone else answers, no. And then someone yeah. answers, yes, very good answer. It is. I'm glad yeah. that you listened. It's very illustrative in that regard. Like, yeah. So and, and, it's and, not and okay. They, they, and one of my problems with Christopher Nolan is that he's very good with special effects and cinematography and exploring what's possible with movement. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, hats off for that. But then he always has this stupid dialogue that tries to explain everything. So it's... He's it's didactic. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's it's Space Odyssey, but with a, with a, sci- a science teacher next to it going like, well, actually... What is happening here is he's going through a force field, and that's why we see these color formations. And, and he literally does this. It's like two scientists talking to each other with a piece of paper. Well, this is the space-time continuum. You fold it over. He pierces a pencil through. The, and that's how we create a wormhole. And yeah, so one, I, of the, one of my problems is that two scientists would never talk to each other that way because they already know. <laughs> You're not going to fly the space true. and not know that. That's true. Well, what the other yeah. funny, I mean, I guess you're, I guess the funny thing is that that might be representative of Christopher Nolan and this guy, uh, Kip Thorne, who's a phys- American physicist, friend of Neil deGrasse Tyson, who yeah, yeah. was uh, they, the primary... They like to communicate these ideas to Well, he actually wrote, audience. yeah, he wrote a companion book for the movie. So I don't know how often like a theoretical physicist writes a companion book for a film, but this would be like you know, the only occasion. And the script was written almost like a collaboration with this guy. Like, is this possible? Could we do this? No, you can't do that. This is how it would work, right? Yeah. So I think no, that's it, it, It's funny. I think, I think the movie would be really great without the I'm missing my child and the physics explaining. Like, it, I'm fine with it being thorough in the, the building of the movie, but why yeah. constantly but I think you're hold, get, you're hold getting, the audience's hand? You can enjoy this film outside of the plot, but if you are embedded in the plot and you're like a plot fiend, like which I'm not, like a, you, you love great narrative, you're going to be disappointed because it's a straight line. Even though um, Christopher Nolan and all of his films loop there's always narrative loop back in some manner. Yeah. And well, well, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, one of the did... things I, I, I hate also in thrillers and, and this is they always verbally set a premise like, well, we're going to have to do A, B, C, and D. Mm-hmm. That's not possible because uh, it's against the laws of physics and we yeah. don't have enough time and we don't have enough fuel. And then mm-hmm. they just build this narrative where saying it's impossible and then they do it. So yes. it's just... Same as Lord of the Rings. It's like you get three minutes of yeah. break, and then it's like, oh, there's a monster that's too big to conquer, but we're going to do it anyway. Yeah, and I, and I did bring this film to your attention because I went and saw Tenet, which is um, Nolan's latest film in theaters right now. And we're not advertising for that, but I, I went to see it, and it's one of the hardest films I, you know, I've seen, from not from an intellectual standpoint, from a sheer sensory standpoint. It was like almost like torture. <laughs> To yeah, watch. It, it was like yeah. my. Not, it's, it's like a carnival ride that's a bit too hardcore. Did, did you see it actually in the end? No, no, but you were d- describing it. Well, yeah. because it it involves this idea that you can like, you can go back and forward in time, but the time flows through you. Anyway, regardless, as I'm trying to explain it to you, I'm even getting caught up in it. But the torturous aspect of it is it it is so uh, unintuitive. So it's counterintuitive to the way your mind works. So the film forces you, like an uncomfortable piece of video art that I would have created a few years ago, it forces you to think about how, you, how you're thinking, about how you're perceiving, to the point where... Well, that sounds interesting. Well, to the point where it's actually, yeah, really, really, though, 
impossible to you have to like let go i guess it, you should see it for that reason um of like yeah. how you would normally go and see well, a movie film. theaters is still closed here but even in that oh really in in new york i think so let me check but i think so okay well I'm, we're back at the movies here in canada but uh yeah. we we're also like well i don't live in the civilized no world. no but surprise surprise you know second wave here it is <laughs> it's like yeah. we're like we were pretty much high on our on our high horse and then you know, now we're now we're starting to face the consequences. But anyway, um, yeah, it might be interesting for you to see just because. And it, I, yeah, I bring it up in relationship. Close, just okay, up. in relationship to this film, um, where there is this idea that a future self is is actually um, present in the earliest scenes, right? Like you, so the film unwinds, um, or you come to understand more and more of the film through exposition as it proceeds, right? So like. Because yeah, time it just travel. reminded me a lot of the M. Night Shyamalan movies where once you've seen the whole thing, you watch it again, there's really not much to it. Yeah. yeah. And, but and, I, and, and, and if you take away all the science part of it and the, and the visual effects, it's just like there's an entity, they're going towards someone, there's a hero. It just seems okay. very straightforward. But I think that's, yeah, so if you look at it from a narrative standpoint, it's not going to be interesting at all. I think you're absolutely right. So what else can we do? We can look at it as a piece of culture or a point, a data point in time and what it meant and what it means. Uh, it's also a society. political statement. That's seems. what I mean. That's what I mean. Yeah. So, and and uh, I was very disturbed by the politics of the film. <laughs> because it's like colonial, obviously, at the outset. Yeah, and, and it's also, um, there's no hope in fixing our planet so we have to go somewhere else i find that so weird that idea i think if we were to give it a a pass it it actually it would be like challenging us to consider um what it means like you could say it's like the potato famine in ireland right that's how you could see this movie yeah exactly and so it might give permit like in the worst cases it gives permission for um you know colonialism to have happened i think there's a bunch of references to heart of darkness um and yeah. you know the or the filmic version apocalypse now in the movie including like you know psychological decline the journey into the unknown you know the, the literal yeah. black hole as this but like the, yeah it's it's funny if you talk about the uh, matt damon is a character halfway in the movie appears and he's He's gone insane and he's become a danger. But if you compare him to Apocalypse Now, where they're really exploring someone losing their mind, Kurt, yeah. this 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 movie is so mild in that transgressive part. Well, it's kind of like a blip. It's a like yeah. it's an interlude on the on the radar. Like, it, yeah, it, but yeah. he's he's basically he's like, oh, you guys have to come to my planet, even though there's nothing here. And it's not like Marlon Brando in Apocalypse Now. Yeah, but there's a bunch of references literally that are like, yeah, from that film where he's like, a his name is Man, which I think from the original Heart of Darkness, right? Kurtz, there's Kurtz, and then there's Man. Um, actually, that doesn't make sense now that I think about it. Hmm. Well, I, I think like he, yeah, he he refers to it as his planet, this kind of place that he's yeah i guess the psychology maybe is the only link that he's kind of gone crazy on this planet where he was this great person this hero like an apocalypse now that everyone talked about like outside of the jungle as being this like emblematic of all our greatest values but then when he's left alone you know in a hostile environment he descends into quote-unquote like you know kind of savagery or whatever which is a horribly racist way of depicting indigenous cultures 
But I do think that the, the politics of the movie, there's nothing wrong with the idea of saying, hey, everyone's fighting each other. In, instead, we should put our creative energy into improving the environment and cre improving the here and now. Like, mm -hmm. I, I, I do But I think, think the film's premise is actually that they're, they've decided that there's no hope and they're just going to try and make it. It's like a euthanasia moment. It's a, what yeah, do you call it in yeah. the Netherlands? Sympathetic suicide or whatever. Like, so yeah. they're just going to make it like a, a pretty good rot, like last ride, you know, like we're going to die anyway. So let's make sure we yeah, take yeah, care yeah. of one another. But um, I think just overall, maybe it's a tonal problem, but it, it feels like Christopher Nolan is uh, someone who's very good at managing films and managing effects and managing actors. But, his general outlook on like what love is and what what going mad is is just kind of mild. It's it doesn't feel like he's revealing anything of his personality. Well, I think or... the film tries to do so much. That's why I said at the outset, like yeah, it, it's, one it's of the, three hours long, but it feels like it's thirty minutes. <laughs> maybe for our listeners, the, the solution to all the problems is love. So there's a lot of science. They try everything the scientific way, but once they understand that love is this transcendent maybe physical thing that we can't perceive but we can kind of perceive and so uh, love is everything in the end and saves everybody mm -hmm. I, I i watched this youtube compilation it, it it's a, a youtube channel that analyzes movies questioning whether it's deep or dumb oh yeah i've seen that yeah yeah and so they go and then one of the things that's weird is he abandons his children to save the world yeah and he comes back and he only sees his daughter. Everything is about his daughter. He just ignores his son completely. <laughs> he doesn't care about his son. But his son no. is representative of the past, right? Like, because his son, like, is was into like tending the crops. Yeah, but it's still it's still his family. But his son is not smart. He doesn't believe in science. <laughs> I know, it, like, it, that's why it's so ideological the film. And I think your your point that this is a movie that is narratively dumb. And and potentially also ideologically dumb, but I think it's hard to say an ideology is dumb without first investigating the time and place. No, for I, yeah, ideology. I feel like the I feel like the ideal the ideology is right in the sense that uh, we should believe in science and progress, and we should look for solutions. But then it's directed in a weird colonial way, which I find problematic. No, but I think that's the very thing that's wrong with the ideology. If you yeah, were no, to no, critique no, the but the, the, the premise of the ideology, I understand that. The movie is translating the moment we're in now, where it just feels like everything's hopeless and people are fighting each other instead of solving problems. Mm -hmm. So I understand that that's like, okay, let's move towards progress. But then where do you direct the progress? And where do you direct the hope for the future? And I think outer space is just kind of, it looks cool, but I don't think it's... Yeah, yeah, no, I know. I'm 100% with you. And the narrative in the film is very close to the narrative on the ground, right? Here where like textbooks are being rewritten or yeah, yeah, I've yeah. had lots of arguments with Kristen because she's like space travel is absolutely nonsense and we should really really focus on preservation. And you're like, but what about Teflon anti-stick pants that came from space? Well, the point I always make is that that's a false dichotomy, right? Like that seeking like uh, to be better and to understand ourselves from within in our in our home on our planet part of doing that well is looking outward is at the same time yeah, yeah. but um you know the the critique is is extremely valid which is like you know the colonialism this the search for the unknown the scientific concepts of progress have only led to further <sighs> accumulation and that accumulation has led to this individualism that's like 
you know, <sighs> most focused. Oh yeah, there's a the dog in your. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, this really just all about the self, and that's tied to the American ideology of like, you know, the American dream and well, rags to it's, riches. It's also tied to this idea that um, happiness is never where you are; it's where you're going. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. Yeah. So it's, I it, think that's part of the problem of people's general uh, dissatisfaction in life and the sort of the social media ideal world that you're striving towards that doesn't exist. And it's very hard to accept that, you know, sitting on on the couch and uh, looking at the wall is is good. Yeah, I'm I'm unhappy. I'm looking at a wall. I agree. And I think that for me, this there's an inner conflict if I was just to bring it back to myself selfishly as a as I critique of self being selfish. Um, it's like as a as someone who works in business or as you know thinks of themselves as an artist entrepreneur i think there's this like this solutionism that's kind of like baked into my psychology that i really have a hard time growth rat- over everything no it's like solving problems and you know any like the challenge or the puzzle you know of s- the solution is but business in particular is it's kind of if you don't grow you're gone it's a very existential and i think it's very different from personal life but it's not presented that way in business this is the thing that i think but is for, really for, for any software platform if you're not number one you're basically nothing so it's well yeah well no I, I, in, in any brand exercise there's number one and then there's you're allowed to have a number two and number three is basically not you know you're it's and this is true in any category you can take rental cars or anything the number three and four brands you know are pretty much fighting for crumbs and the one and two get all of the net benefits, right? Because it's like, yeah. what are you using? Oh, Tesla. Oh, well, I don't like Tesla. Well, then you should, you know, drive X, Y, Z. Like, you know, you should have a Prius, right? I, yeah, yeah. I can't afford a Tesla. What are my options? Yeah, for? exactly. Um, or I don't like Elon Musk. But it's always like, oh, you like, <laughs> you know, you don't like Coke. Oh, well, you know, you got Pepsi. It's sweeter. You know, I don't think yeah. Coke's sweet enough. Or whatever. I do think so. Elon Musk is relevant in this discussion. Yeah, this is like a total. That's where I thought we were eventually going to end up. Yeah, which is a, he he represents, I think, the Matthew McConaughey character, who is such a strange casting choice when you think about it. Because I, uh, this well, is, he's he's very American. I think they wanted that sort of baseball dad and the, someone who's in a Cadillac commercial, but he's yeah. a, but he's so relaxed, right? He's the opposite of like the get up and go spirit that you know you. But I think it would have been super cheesy. Yeah, he's kind of surfer dude. Yeah, yeah, but that's I guess the new entrepreneur aesthetic, right? Like the Steve Jobs, like relaxed jeans, you know, and a, and yeah, a turtleneck yeah. kind of view. I do think of this movie as actually a movie made for like business. It's like a, it's a capitalist movie. And well, the- I, I think Christopher Nolan is a businessman. More, more. It's this movie is obviously you can't help but to compare it to Space Odyssey. There's there's well, no way to look at it without the, a lot a lot of folks did because there's a lot of aesthetic I think similarities. But between when you the two when films. you think of Space Odyssey, the way they presented people in the present in that sort of uh, space airport scene where mm-hmm. the, it's just businessmen hanging out, mm-hmm. felt a bit like Mad Men era, and they're all just yeah like kind of they 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 felt a bit like diplomats or business people who chat about like how are the children oh great to be here nice to see you. But I think it's business close to religion. Like they want to make religion and business seem like the same thing in both films to a certain extent. Yeah. Right? Like, and oh, then, here are the twelve apostles who are the, also the twelve astronauts. We're going to send yeah. to these twelve planets. And then the, this movie presents the present and, and Earth as sort of 
people who are angry and desperate and everything's covered in dust and this sort of death is all around them and uh, despair and I mean we're 30 years away from this kind of reality I was uh, yeah. listening to Naomi Klein's new book on climate change and the car yesterday with Kristen she's reading it and I was reading a New York Times piece on like uh, climate um, migration patterns that are probably likely to occur in the next like 60 years <clears throat> and by but well, it's know, already you know, like people are moving out of California. Well, in our lifetime, yeah, like California actually becomes unlivable because there's um, there are catastrophic fires every year in at least half of the the state, right? So, well, I guess the solution is just get rid of all the trees. Well, they'll get rid of themselves in that yeah. scenario. I, I mean, it's always dangerous to predict the future, but we've been on this trajectory, you know, since Silent Spring or or, or earlier, actually, since the Industrial Revolution, right? Of like, yeah, <clears throat> like in this Naomi Klein book, actually, she talks about the necessary reductions in carbon uh, and that there'd have to be a 10% reduction every year for the next 10 years before. I we know reach. It, it, it was, it but was she, depressing when you saw the lockdown and there was this forced reduction in carbon. Offset. It still wasn't enough. And it still wasn't enough. And that's already like zero yeah. tourism and all the factories in China shut down <laughs> yeah, exactly. and it's still not enough. So yeah. I, I'm more like, okay, let's just enjoy the ride. We'll, we'll see. Well, yeah, that's get. why I thought that was, this is an interesting film for this moment for that reason, because yeah. y- y- that's the, the, the first 10 minutes of the film give you kind of the premise for our present the th- day. The thing, the thing I don't really understand is why is it so bad if humanity ends? Well, that, there, is a, there, there was that book a couple of years ago. I can't remember the name where it's like, actually, it doesn't matter. That's really, you know, centrist, human centrist. Yeah, view, yeah, exactly. Right? Or anthro, anthrocentrist of you to like think that humans need to exist. By the way, I want to make a note to our listeners. The sound of sirens is coming from your end, right? Is it? I can't even tell anymore. I'm just in a blended reality with yours. I was going to ask you the yeah. same thing. No, it's not here. So uh, for once, it's uh, in Toronto. <laughs> Sometimes there'll be like, yeah, it seems like 10 alarm fires where I live on a major boulevard. So I don't it's know. It's so weird. Yeah, sorry. No, they're probably putting out a fire in like a skyscraper. <laughs> yeah, it, but I just wanted to say like all this, this feeling of like uh, uh, left wing and right wing radicals are shooting at each other. Uh, the planet's on fire, everything. And then you go to the Netherlands and like, Nobody wears a mask. Everybody's hanging out. They go to the movies. They go to bars. The schools are open. The kids are going to school. Everything's fine. And now there's kind of a second wave starting. But the moment I was there, everything was like, oh, it's kind of back to normal. This is nice. And, and they, you would think that they would already be affected by climate change. But so far, it's just kind of been like nicer summers and the winters are not too bad. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, yeah, I mean... I was actually that, talking to my mom about the Netherlands because Amsterdam is a city in business we often talk about, you know, being a next great city, <clears throat> uh, just like an economic investment center. potential and center. Yeah. yeah. And it's always been a finance capital. But for some reason, London, maybe we can go into the history of that at some other time. But like um, Amsterdam probably stands to inherit a lot of European power. And um, it's really interesting just because, like, for, from a climate change perspective, you hear two arguments. One is they've been dealing with climate change for a thousand years, <laughs> right? Yeah, like, it's, it's, it should be underwater. But, yeah, yeah, but it's not. And the other is they're screwed because they're already in the worst possible position. And so they have a compounding engineering well, some, problem. Someone was saying 
the the end result of planet Earth will be the whole planet is covered in water, and this is like the Netherlands sticking out. They somehow made it work. <laughs> somehow it's like just a pit inside of a pit of water. Yeah, yeah. Well, already like in certain areas of Florida, right? They've abandoned, um, you know, uh, rehabilitating or trying to reclaim roads or villages. And it's interesting because you think, oh yeah, you know, in America we'll just solve it with engineering. But I went down to um, Belize a, a couple of years ago, and similarly like coastal area and i was staying in a village where they were experiencing like rising sea levels and they didn't have any money right belize is not a wealthy country and so um i had a tour guide while i was there and he's like yeah let me show you around the town so we lost about half the town to the rising waters this that part of the town's now underwater let me take you to the cemetery where my parents are buried and my grandparents and their grandparents and as you can see, the tombstones have a lot of the graves are now underwater or have been washed away. And you're like, what is going on here? <laughs> right. And, that, and he's it's like, wild, there's yeah. no hope, you know, like and he's like, yeah, in a few years, we'll probably lose the rest of the town. And I was like, well, what are you going to do? I don't know. You know, like I'm just living to your point earlier. I'm living in the moment. Um, I, I think that's where there, there's an interesting conversation, which is. Yes, we have to kind of live in the moment, but like there's also this really important um, time to act, not just as individuals, but as a group or collective, right? Like, how can we just let it happen? Yeah. And your point of like, does humanity need to exist? Well, like, yeah, maybe not. Maybe it needs to exist in a different way, though, would be another alternative way of thinking about it. And you're saying like, well, even with the pandemic, everything shut down, we still didn't do it. Well, we didn't do it because we're we're still really committed to the same ideology. Like, I still want a bigger house. Like, in, in Canada, it's interesting, or in Toronto, the response to the pandemic has largely been, I'm going to buy a larger home. Yeah, outside the, the city? Outside the city, yeah. Yeah. And so the prices are going up in those areas, blah, blah, blah. Well, I, I do think uh, this movie shows a little bit of the pioneer spirit. And I think Americans and probably Canadians are very used to moving. That, that it, it's not so much you grow up in the town and your great grandparents were there and etc. It's like oh, there's an opportunity, pack up, let's go. But the pioneer and spirit that, led to the decimation of the the grasslands and the and the dust bowl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the largest American I, I know, catastrophe. But I'm, but I'm talking about the it's 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 in the whole history of just putting everything in a car and going. Yeah, even which, and I want to talk about also the role of cars in this movie, but. No fear what I mean failure. is the, the way a lot of Americans probably feel about climate change is like, well, we'll go to the Rocky Mountains. That's high enough. Like there's so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll I, find I feel like in, in the Netherlands, it's a very different proposition when you're like, okay, this whole country will be underwater in 12 minutes. So we better act. Yeah. So you say there is a collective spirit in the Netherlands. They're like, we have to act as one unit to say, you know, we know we'd be underwater if we didn't act together. Yeah. And I think I, I listened to a Dutch podcast, the newspaper, and they had a few uh, water engineers, mm -hmm. and they they were like, "Yeah, climate change is terrible," but they were super excited about building all the stuff. I think you're okay, making a really it, really good point in relation. If to it this hits movie. three meters, we're yeah. gonna do this. If it hits four meters, and yeah. they could handle up to ten meters. And, like there's yeah. actual public policy. What's interesting in this film is the government is viewed as the enemy. Like they changed the textbooks and everything, and the, there's three individuals. There's Murph, his daughter. There's Matthew McConaughey, whose name I can't remember in the film, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's the old guy that's writing the equation, the anti-gravity equation that he's lying the fake about. equation. So, yeah. the, But everyone, it, it's this so it's so focused on one person saving the whole world. Always, you know? always. But that, that it, it's very hard to make a, 
a movie that's a lot of meetings and voting, and uh, that's not very exciting cinematography. <laughs> no, you're right. And actually, it's funny because I'm I'm doing some vision work, at, and I'm I'm helping a few companies out. But I'm like at, at my own uh, company, I'm helping um, create some like do some vision stuff, which is like five years ahead, like future thinking kind of stuff. And the way I, I like I've I've helped coach quite a few companies that are like. You know, someone will come in like someone uh, it'll be either from the bottom or top doesn't matter. And they'll be like, but what's our strategy? <laughs> like, and what's the vision for the future? This and is then, interesting. Yeah. yeah, it's it's interesting in the sense that the American ideology idealizes the individual. Yeah. But in reality, companies are very large entities that work only through collaboration. Yeah. Like and you, so you can have Steve Jobs, but you still need a million employees you can't grow apple without all those employees it's kind of what i wanted to talk about which is like yeah. in each of those situations they come to me as like kind of the savior of the situation i'm like okay great like i'm gonna work i need to group work with a group of people actually though to do this and i, I kind of do it the same way but i never look at it as me sitting down <laughs> in like a dark room and like writing the vision of the future like yeah Magna Carta. and the yeah and the american movies are always someone is is a, a rebel so they're like okay we have a protocol. <laughs> Fuck the protocol. I'm going to do it my way. And it, this whole movie felt like a, in South Park, sometimes they'll do a little bit of a, a spoof on an action movie. That's how this felt. Like one of the, the tropes in these kind of movies is uh, two people are talking to each other and they need a solution. And then they do a brainstorm. And the brainstorm is like, okay, gravitational fields, fields, grass, grass, shoes, <laughs> cows. We need to shoot a cow into space. You're right. And then that's the solution. Well, I will say that when, so when I'm doing these vision-based works, I always actually ask, just ask people to tell me a story. And then we start to build, co-create the story together. And I actually usually use storyboards. And I ask, I start by like, well, who's the main character, right? Like, and we start to build this story together. And through the act of storytelling, people actually get to clarity because so much of business and vision is confused with frameworks. And they're like, okay, well, what's the two by two? And uh, what's the swap matrix? And how are we going to make the decision? It's not, it's never the decision. It's actually a vision comprises like a narrative. It comprises a story you're going to tell for the next five years. And, and people are going to tell after you leave yeah. and you need to keep telling that story and you need to, the story needs yeah. to be memorable enough. And to circle that back to art, I do agree with you here that, if you don't, if you just feel like you're solving daily problems, but there's not a bigger vision where you're like, I'm trying to make a, a larger point, and uh, it's not just about this individual work; it's about this direction I'm going and the way I see. Uh, let's say perception is changing due to the screen, and I'm exploring that, and you want this larger yeah. wave behind you, and instead, otherwise, you're just. Uh, no, and I think as it relates yeah. to the film, you have to look across time, so both behind and ahead. And that's not a formula. That's like a consideration. Yeah. I think there's so much right about this movie. There's so much... Uh, like, as I said, the music is interesting. The visuals are interesting. I, I think the robot was an interesting oh, idea. Oh, can we talk about Tars? Because yeah. he's, my, he's definitely my favorite part of the film. Yeah. So there's so much good about this movie, but I just feel like... Uh, Christopher Nolan end of the day is just he, he wants to explain too much and everything's too clear and that just ruins the fun for me it kind of destroys it as an artwork and makes it instead like a, a science fair kind of um, yeah. you know kind of experiment yeah. thing yeah. but I do think TARS is actually emblematic of what 
great filmmaking can be. So Tars <laughs> like is one character in the film. It's the it's ironic that the robot is the most multi-dimensional character. Yeah, it's in the funniest film. one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he actually has a literal humor setting. Yeah. Yeah, and Cuz the, there's no there's no humor outside of Tars in the movie. And th- this robot honestly is an aesthetic masterpiece. Yeah. So to explain to the viewers that didn't see it, it's it's a uh, basically how would you explain Tars? He's like three. I think he's four. He's four. Four, four th- blocks that are like four extruded in the center. Yeah. 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 And he, like, so he's four extruded. Yeah. Like think of so two by fours. But he's kind thicker. of an abstract robot. Four he doesn't have fours. a head or hands or stuff like that. But yeah. he's kind of just like four moving blocks that can roll or walk. And he's got a screen in the middle. And yeah. He, yeah, so with this very simple modernist block, he can perform all types of activity. What's really interesting, too, and he's also kind of a reference to the monolith in Space Odyssey. I think so. Yeah, because when when he's in in his rest state, he's basically a monolith, and then when he starts walking, his his four parts start separating. And he has a pure Unix interface. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's like his his yeah. face is actually just a, like a is a, a shell. Text. It's like yeah, a Unix it's like shell. A matrix. Yeah. yeah, and and which is beautiful because it's got that like nice blue green tinge of a CRT. Um, he doesn't seem futuristic, but he he does. He seems both futuristic and retro at the same time. Well, he's he's futuristic in the sense that uh, most AIs, even the Space Odyssey one, are a bit too serious, and then they added humor to him. And even even I thought her was a good direction of where we could see computing go. The mm-hmm. the, the all knowing voice. Yeah, but even that one was still. I thought this was a really new take on the AI. Yeah, and he. The other thing that's really incredible is that he's. It's a hand puppet puppeted, or there's a there's a puppeteer that's a human, uh, moving him throughout the whole oh, film. Oh, that's the, why it feels so real. Yeah. Yeah, when you see him move, there's nothing computery about it. Like you're like, oh yeah, that robot is in the scene. In fact, well, that's, that's like the success is. of Blade Runner, where the the most high tech thing in Blade Runner is these androids that almost look human so they just have human actors play them and then you're like wow that's an advanced robot yeah yeah Yeah. so they bridge the uncanny valley with tars i think in because you know obviously him being this like block of steel if you had cgi'd that it would have looked too perfect right yeah so there's so much imperfection built into yeah there's a bit of rust on him and yeah yeah. and then we have to know that a lot of christopher nolan is is uh, known for using practical effects much more than cg so that's why the movies age well and there's a lot right with this movie i think there's a lot of uh things that are commensable or what's the word commendable yeah but let's but let's complain like compare it to independence day right and so you hold these two films up 20 years apart right because i think what independence day was made in the 90s and this film was made a few years ago and independence day is also that sort of brainstorm thing what's the name of the jurassic park actor um, Jurassic Park. He was also in The Fly. He's always the professor. Oh, he's oh the, right, right, right. Um, he's like, we focus so much on what we could when we don't focus on what we should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had his name on the tip of my tongue. And then Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, Jeff yeah. Goldblum, yeah. But um, in Independence Day, he also does that stupid brainstorm thing. Okay, uh, we need a solution. Solution, solution, pollution, yeah, yeah. pollution, a virus, a virus. Oh, a virus, a computer virus. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. High pressure. It's like 24. But you're always under the clock and you yeah, have to come yeah, up yeah. with something brilliant. 
Yeah. Um, we can all identify with that. But I, uh, I was going to say, like, if we hold those two films up, actually, it's the exact same film. It's just the aesthetics have shifted. And what the, we at least uh, uh, Independence Day, Will Smith brings a lot of humor and personality to the film. Oh, yeah. You know what? I wasn't thinking Independence Day. I was thinking, um, what's the one with uh, where they ha- it's like they oh, put contact? together. No, no. They put together a crack team of people with the, and there's an asteroid. Armageddon. Armageddon. Those, yeah. yeah. Okay, so same, same era, same, yeah, yeah same era. Basically, but even Armageddon, film. yeah, it's also the rebels that do it their own way. And yeah, like I'm gonna put together five crack team people that don't belong, like the Maverick. The da, da, da. It's like they're not the yeah. science nerd that, that that's doing it. Fuck the but, science. We're gonna yeah. do it with jackhammers. Yeah, we're just gonna do it with the good old American spirit. <laughs> <laughs> um, even yeah. in this film, like in Interstellar, you know the fact that the the film requires that eventually his spacecraft is lesser than he you know so eventually you know like he goes into the black hole in his spacecraft and the spacecraft dissolves or dematerializes like it's torn apart but his body is not like this feeling yeah, of being he's so ripped yeah he's so impervious that's what all those push-ups were for but it's the american kind of like ugh, i almost want to i shouldn't say this so i'm going to say it anyway it's almost like the american like alt-right represents this like nazi-like um ideal of the 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 male body being no i i think that's just a plot hole i I think that's that's basically a plot hole i think the whole movie was really just christopher nolan wanting to visualize the fourth dimension that's all this he wanted to do Mm. everything else he just did to make the movie happen he doesn't care about anne hathaway being in love with her lost he doesn't care about matthew mcconaughey's daughter i just think it's like matthew mcconaughey gets to look fabulous through the whole movie and like this woman that's working behind the scenes his daughter the whole time (laughs) she she ends up like dying in front of him completely fragile but the male ego is held intact throughout the whole film yeah but i think that that scene where he's like trapped in the bookcase and he can see all moments in time and etc that's really all that Christopher Nolan wanted to do. He's mm-hmm. like, I think Dali was always trying to paint the fourth dimension. And it's very illustrative. He would have sessions at the time of like, uh, uh, with rich people and like, would give them drugs and try to see the fourth dimension. Yeah, yeah. People were so obsessed with but the fourth we, dimension. But we do see the fourth dimension. dimension today as it stands. All we have to do is you know, look through an old photo album. or yeah, Well, then I mean the fifth one. But yeah. the... the this idea of dimensions beyond our capability of perception, mm-hmm. uh, of course, what, is a very yeah. magical uh, concept. But not to any engineer. Like, I mean, I, and that's really like purest of me to say. But like, when you're doing um, any of our our listeners who are creative programmers are kind of used to this idea of a matrix being the way you ca- you know store data. So if you're doing like visuals design. And it's funny because that the way they visualize the black hole, they worked with VFX specialists, right, to like take these equations and translate them and visualize them. But if you've done any kind of visual work, whether it's programming for 3D or even two-dimensional space, you're used to four dimensions right off the bat because uh, or like not four dimensions right off the bat, but a certain number of dimensions because you know even just for color, right? You have you have the two dimensions of XY, right? And then like Obviously, if you're doing three dimensions, you have Z. So you now have you're, alpha okay. and you have... But then you have yeah. color, which is, an, you know, now it's like R, G, B. And then you're like, oh, and then alpha, there's a fourth. And then, yeah, yeah. you know, but then you add, you start to get into all kinds of other, like you you get into these N matrix situations yeah. where but you're storing bit, data on top of data. Yeah, it's a bit like Escher where he makes, I think Nolan is very influenced by Escher. You mm-hmm. know who I mean? The the Yeah, MC Escher. Yeah, he's he's Dutch, by the way. 
but uh, so it's like a staircase that leads to a staircase. Things like that, and these uh, uh, sort of optical illusions, and uh, mm-hmm. I think a lot of movies just start out with a tiny sliver of an idea which is great and then sometimes the ideas that get added make it all better and it just feels here like he just really wanted to explore uh what's a black hole like once you're on the other side and what is four dimensionality like and i think that's an interesting take which is that do, do you remember that book uh, did we talk about it about the two-dimensional world and a one-dimensional Flatland? character yeah, yeah flatland's that, that, incredible i mean written yeah. over 100 years ago too yeah but that's that's basically mm-hmm. i think all the premise of this movie and then the love story and the family connections and all that stuff i think he he just felt obligated to do that <clears> otherwise <throat> the studio wouldn't let him do it but i do feel like he was drawn to try he tried to make an epic like there's even there's tons of leonardo da vinci like in renaissance references in this film like touching between you know the heavens and stuff and you know the idea that we're in a time of great despair which was you know prior to the renaissance of course like following a great plague and that the answer to that question during the renaissance anyway was you know well we're going to go back and inspire ourselves based on the greatest ideals of the you know of the you know our our forefathers the greeks or whatever yeah. right like we're going to yeah. bring that those great ideals forward again and sorry i said forefathers i meant you know it's not just Man, I didn't mean no, to no, that. Um, I understand. <clears throat> and so, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna just channel, channel the like spirit <laughs> and love of that great, and that was apparent in that great time, the energy and enthusiasm for the future, and we will arrive at something new, right? Like yeah. it, 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 that seems to be the attempt of the film, that you, the journey into the unknown, right? There's that poem in the film, and I can't attribute it. Oh, but, yeah keep screaming into the dying light, you know, as you're aging. Yeah. I, I honestly, that did resonate with me a little emotionally because as I'm get, I'm middle-aged right now, right? Like you have this, you get to middle age and you're like, okay, because we're, we're both middle-aged now, right? We can say that safely. Yeah. And when you're young, you're impervious. Like you feel like everything's ahead of you. You get to a certain point and you're like, should I just accept what I've achieved because I can see that the next 20% isn't worth it. <laughs> or, you know, because of my lived experience, I know that like actually what I wanted when I was 20 is actually not a great thing. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, do I continue to seek out the, you know, something greater than that? And then you're like, what is greater? You're like, maybe it's family. Maybe it's all these other things. Right. And so you get into this kind of like, I don't know. I'm not making a good argument here, except that you get to this point. No, you where are. I, I understand. You want to rage against this idea that you should just be. Yeah, but happy. I still think that this ideology is force-fed to us, mm-hmm. and it's it, it. A lot of it is based on the idea that uh, happiness is always in front of you. It's never where you are. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to sound like a. No, I think it's a great point. Yeah, I, I'm not a someone who meditates or a Buddhist or whatever, but I, I, it's more of a common sense thing. It's like. Maybe a piece of toast with peanut butter is really as good as it gets. And like you striving towards all these other things is like, just enjoy the peanut butter. It's really good. And I think that there's this point, there's this one line in the film that is so offensive now that I think about it in that context, which is like Matthew McConaughey sitting there with his son, who we we obviously know he has a great distaste for. (laughs) And he's he's talking about like whether we journey into the unknown or are we just caretakers of this planet? And yeah. he t- he What's talks wrong about with the, caretaking. Yeah. He talks about caretaking as if it's like this disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, but the very reason you have to leave this planet is because you didn't take care of it, right? 
Yeah. And obviously, indigenous cultures, if we think about progress... It reminds and, me of drug addicts. Like you start with heroin, it's like, oh, this is the best thing ever. But then but you, let's, you have it for too long, and it's like, I need something stronger. But like I was just thinking in my head, like let's think about like the indigenous people that came to North America. They left Asia, right? They crossed this incredible chant. Like they crossed water. They basically walked on water through the Northwest Passage. They then populated like the large, like one of the largest continents on the planet. They did so very successfully. But at some point, they realized, wait a second. Our goal here should be potentially to take care of this place. <laughs> that yeah, this have is it like, about. yeah. I let, am. I am weary of that simplification that they were like this. This general hippie population that everyone loved each other. I, I'm not sure if it was that. Well, weird. I mean, I think it's because in stark contrast, the Europeans are like, well, you know, we've run out of space over here. Let's go there to the New World. This is mine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, who are these people in the New World? You're taking. We we had already decided this was going to be ours. What are you doing yeah. here? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then a fight ensues, obviously, in like mass genocide. Um, and then now these same New World people that were like, this was where all the hope was. They're like, ah, it's hopeless here. Let's get out into space. <laughs> well, That's the next it seems biological. I don't know if it's cultural or biological that we are very scared of boredom. Mm-hmm. Like a deathly fear of loneliness and boredom and just whatever it takes as long as you're not bored. But I come back to my original argument, which is like, what if it's caretaking and adventure? And it, why does yeah. it always have to be one or the other? I think that like this zero sum game of like it has to be. But it does seem that if everyone's fighting and you're resting, it's a dangerous uh, position to be in in the rest. So it, when you go back to companies, it's like it, it's not good to be social network number two. Mm hmm. And but by yeah, by the by a false de de definition of like they, I've had this debate well, so many times well, with business people, right? Because yeah, but it, maybe for artists, it's uh, you can be like, yeah, I'm fine with being a footnote, and uh, it, I'm just doing my thing, and we'll see how time passes. And there's room for that, but I think in general, people flock to the people, the artists who are pushing everything, and so it feels like an obligation to constantly create more spectacle it reminds me of these agreement you know these like you know logic problems around nuclear um proliferation right where it's like well if russia has a nuclear missile yeah, then yeah. we need a nuclear missile and exactly. if because if we don't have a nuclear missile they will use their nuclear missile but if we have one then they won't use it because they'll anticipate that if they but if use we get theirs, a bigger one yeah but then there's yeah, yeah we get into this like we get locked into these these modes of thinking that it's yeah the only way to preserve ourselves is to create the antidote to something everything is always a plus and a minus and we have to somehow get to level but once we get to level we're like oh we better get to plus because someone else might be getting to yeah. plus first you know yeah. and you're right it's like a it's an accumulate an accumulation problem and ultimately yeah, someone, someone uh, compared uh, socialism to mowing the lawn like in a in a forest, all the plants are constantly fighting for sunshine, so the trees have to get taller and taller, and then the the smaller plants have to invent a way to curl around the tree and get to the sun and get some raindrops and 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 socialism is like you mow the lawn, nobody has to be tall. it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> You're all getting the same amount of sun, but yeah. yeah, I mean, forests do figure out ways there is competition within a forest, but there's also cooperation like um, yeah. And then there are fungi, which everyone loves to go to. I'm sure, like our listeners, are like ah, oh, finally he mentions fungi, because they're like <laughs> they're these like <laughs> I'm a fun guy. There are these fungi networks that like are these altruistic like 
helpful networks of mushrooms that help one another over vast distances. Yeah, but then we're all applying morality to nature. That doesn't make a lot of sense. But I think if we were to challenge ourselves on this like fourth or fifth dimension argument, we would say we would probably arrive at something greater than a dichotomy. And there would be, a, yeah. there's a third way. And this is kind of where I sit in art and business and all things. And because I was, someone on Twitter, a friend of mine, Jennifer Chan was saying like, can you be both a capitalist and a Marxist at the same time? And I was mentioning this to Kristen. Like, yeah, it's China. Well, yeah, I had answered like, I'm trying. And then Kristen was like, well, both are flawed, you know, like, and so <laughs> the obviously there are other new uh, ideologies that have emerged like cooperativism or um, communitarianism and stuff. But all this, all this is a ideologies are based on the idea that you want to make the world a better place. And Which you're, find you're arguing very... that that's progress, progress, and progress is no, the, no, the no. I'm arguing mm -hmm. that 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 is a, a very dangerous question to ask artists because then they all of a sudden they're like custodians of morality and they're making PR and propaganda. Well, Christopher right Nolan would say love is the answer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you but, know, artists said that too, right? They said that in the 1960s because we were in this position. It's so funny. We think we're so special, like. You know that humanity has re reached, obviously reached the next level of crisis, but we have been in this. We're, we just repeat this, the same mistakes over and over and over again, right? And we get ourselves into shit, and then we're like, ah, you know what? This shit's not that bad, right? That's where I think some of your point around like just accept the present is a bit dangerous because yeah, 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 complacence. The complacency. Meanwhile, while you're complacent, no, it's, someone no, else. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not talking about accepting the present. I'm saying. The idea that happiness lies in ambition and growth is part of the whole problem. Mm -hmm. Like that we're constantly fed an ideology that we're supposed to maximize our potential and be the best human you can be and yeah. help as many people as you can or get as much money as you can. And that, that is the cause of consumerism. No, I think that's a great things. example because like I was talking to a friend and they had gotten into a little bit of trouble in their relationship because their partner had been in the Olympics and the best experience of their life that was indexed to this relationship they had with their coach. And the, everything was so clear. To improve 1%, we did, we have to do X, Y, Z, right? And, but if you apply that thinking to, you know, a love life and relationship with a hum, another human being, it doesn't make any sense. Like, we cannot get 1% better. <laughs> Uh, like you know being considerate. if i make the spaghetti a little better she'll love me more yeah exactly and so that that pursuit of you know engineering perfection when applied to our relationships and our communities can really i mean i think evgeny morozov talks about it in ter terms of like not every problem exists to be solved and certainly doesn't need to mm. be solved by you um yeah. and this is another huge lesson that i've learned over the last few years especially when thinking about political issues um when we talk about black lives matter but also just in like if you're in actually even outside of politics if you're just working and you think that you have to be the hero of this story um you're probably on you know drugs you're probably doing the wrong thing right like i mean you're not actually on drugs but you're you're delusional yeah because it it requires much more cooperation than you I believe i feel like twitter is like that people put solutions in a tweet Oh, yeah, like why everything wrong? Let me change it in two hundred. Yeah, if I was making this film, I would have done it this way. Like, why <laughs> yeah. don't we do this? And and they actually, yeah, I think that you're right. That opinion, that uniform, you have to form an opinion. But the idea that you need to form opinion alone like is concise, antithetical to the idea yeah. of listening 
and cooperating. So yeah. Oh boy, this oh, boy. Is, I didn't well, think we were gonna get here. That's interesting that we did. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was just thinking what movie we could watch next, and uh, after this movie, and I thought maybe Idiocracy. That comes up a lot. You've you wanted Did to do you it see for a it? lot of time. Well, you know what? I saw someone post this week. They're like, uh, I saw Idiocracy and it's even more relevant. But I think there's been some attacks of Idiocracy as well, right? Like in, Yeah, yeah. It's so problematic. It, there's yeah. yeah, so you know, I'm game for Have you seen a it? A difficult though? conversation. Yeah, I watched it when it came out a few years ago. Okay. I'll have to rewatch. There was another sci fi movie that seemed also too accurate. I can't come up with it right now, but yeah. Okay. What do you mean let's, let's, that we could watch? Well, let's not say say what we're going to watch, but we might watch okay. something. That yeah. It sounds like ideology and science and technology is the thread we're on right now. I mean, I will say yeah. just like science is the way it's designed in the it is almost designed in such a way that you can't it, it doesn't there's no breathing space for opposite opinion. There's only the purity of the scientific method, even though the scientific method was invented by humans it's treated as religion in a way that it can't be questioned and i think that that's something but isn't the whole idea of of the scientific method based on questioning everything yeah disproving uh itself continuously but in within that that like kind of um how would you put it right like it's a model that someone once said to me jeremy the more you win the more we lose and there's some such a thing as being too correct (laughs) Um, because there might be models that don't fit in yours and therefore, but could be just as, uh, valid or even expanding. And so, for example, within the scientific method, I think even in this film, they talk about it, right? Like they try and they try and fit the spiritual into the method because they're like, that represents the unknown. And it's just one more thing we have to figure out. And if we don't... Yeah, there's a realm that our instruments can't measure. But to your point earlier, if you just accepted it in the first place, you know, the power of the spiritual might be, you know, that it doesn't... You don't require the answer to be happy, you know. Um, so there's a certain unhappiness in the inquiry, uh, regardless, right? Like, but the Zen Buddhist in you maybe would be like, I am at peace not knowing, you know. Not. Yeah, but I understand the, the complacency in that, but it's not that simple. It's also, it's it's not that you're... Com- Where do you focus your energy? In? Do you focus your energy on accumulation or hunger for experiences, or do you put your energy into creating inner peace? And Yeah, I don't know. The existential podcast with, you know, two guys. Two, it's like, this has become like car talk, but for philosophy. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, we're do, not very good f- at it. Do you feel like, um, <clears throat> I do feel like, obviously I'm interested in art and I do feel like Western art is based on exploration. So I do feel this sort of, it, I, I didn't grow up in a, in a way of thinking where you make hieroglyphs and you make the same kind of uh, drawings for 3,000 years, and that's good. Mm-hmm. I think art is, uh, when it, at its best, is actually what we've been talking about. It's a, it's a collaboration with your audience. It, it starts with a question that you don't know the answer to. And then when I've done my best work, people are excited because they are helping me figure it out you know like Mm. and um drawing i often think drawings do this really well you know when you're drawing you're thinking you know but you're thinking in a way that you cannot 
verbalize because of course like verbal language is an invention yeah, it's, and it's a like, different part of the brain yeah it's a yeah. different and it's almost like a dimensions conversation here where you're like oh i can't express this in words so i have to use this other dimension called this is this line. is what i wanted to talk about in this movie that sometimes it's interesting to see art that is too difficult to understand mm-hmm. and sometimes art is interesting because it's too simple to understand mm-hmm. and i like those two extremes what do you mean by too simple to understand would be an example of that? Like something so simple. So stupid that you're like, this is like it's a really dumb 80s action movie. And it's just, there's something thrilling about it and stupid, but it's also fun. It, I feel like when you see art in museums, what people really love is when the art is kind of smart, but there's an exp- explanation. And yeah. like, okay, I get it. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like that's what this movie is. And then there's there's the type of art where you can read it for the rest of your life and you keep figuring out new stuff yes and then there's the visceral dumb stuff that there's nothing to understand and everything to feel right and this movie's right in the middle so that's kind of boring to me it's a banana tape to the wall (laughs) 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 i mean i'm just referring to the catalan piece that you know what do we do with it though yeah maybe it gets better over time you know like um Do do you like space odyssey i love that film yeah yeah yeah, um, and it, but don't you feel like uh, that movie has a lot more to explore, so you can view it multiple times? And like th- this movie, the second or third time, you're, it's you kind know, of boring. You know, it's really difficult for me. Is like there are two things. The only thing I like while I'm watching a film is the aesthetic experience. I actually, Chris, Kristen will like bitch at you about this if you give her a chance. But I'm like really not interested in the stories, even though I just did this whole thing, like people communicating stories. But like, yeah, I'm such like a I, I'm VFX art direction. Yeah, I'm like so drawn to just like analyzing that that I sometimes I'm like, yeah, yeah, this, all the plots are the same anyway. So like, you just want to turn the audio <laughs> off and just. Uh, but I like the sound some, design some mushrooms too. and then go for it. Yeah. But like one of the arguments I think is that Christopher Nolan doesn't do dialogue very well. And, you know, you might and you might support that like he's. There's a lot of sound layering in the film, and there's so much visual layering. There's a lot of good, yeah. Yeah. Even Inception, I thought the I thought the the story is annoying, but a lot of the visuals are. But your Jeff Goldblum point isn't lost on me, and that's like, I, I and I think that's when the film is at its worst. You're like, Ugh, just like I don't care like how this <laughs> works. Actually, yeah. I yeah. just just let me like experience it. And I think getting to like Dunkirk is another film by um, Christopher Nolan that I think universally people are like, oh, well, that's like kind of a masterpiece because, you know, despite it being a, a war film, which we overanalyze and, and put in on film too often. I think the reason we do that is that war puts us in this context of life or death. It's really ends up sort of like channeling our desire to understand what is the point of all this. But yeah, Dun- I, I didn't see it. So I can't okay, comment Dun- on it, but... you should see Dunkirk, but you have to see it in a theater because the. Well, I didn't want to watch it because I don't like Christopher Nolan, and I thought it looked very patriotic. The trailer. Um, I don't think it's. Yeah, maybe there's some patriotism to it, but it's like the sound and the like, the feeling in the film. Oh, it's like it's pretty crazy good. How did it compare to 1917 for you? Oh, it's so much better than 1917. Like, you can't compare it. Like, I think as far as, like, film being VR, like, Dunkirk is the closest thing um, that you'll ever experience to that. Like, 
there is some sound wizardry in this film. Like you take sound for granted in films sometimes, I think, because it's like they've taken the technology too far. It's existed for too long. Like the sound boards are now like the length of football fields with dials and stuff. Um, and this film makes it just, you know, you always hear that idea of like just being, being feeling like you're being present in a space and film like kind of transcending um, the moment that you're in and bringing you into that place. It really does a good job, a good job okay. of that. Like, I think, I think you, you should see it and the, and okay. the way it's done is with sound and, and cinematography. But then I have to wait for it to play in a theater somewhere. Yeah. And preferably like in IMAX, which is yeah, also 70 millimeter. Yeah. It's so funny that IMAX the, is like the, the film museum in the Netherlands, the I film museum, they, often play these kind of movies on 70 millimeters so i might have a chance to see it there but the thing about dunkirk or any of these films is like you actually there's just like two or three shots that you need to see like um, yeah the eye of the duck yeah 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 like so it's just this yeah the, i i think about that a lot in movies that uh, Werner Herzog often has movies where there's like one or two shots that there's no narrative and it's a transcendent mo- moment mm-hmm. in the movie but you still need the movie around it. If it would just be projected in a museum on a loop, it wouldn't be as powerful. Yeah, I think about that too, because is that yeah. is that like the merchandising for the moment? You know, like, is that the packaging on the shelf? And then it's yeah. the pill is that shot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Back to the idea of what movie we're going to watch next week. I think I've seen Idiocracy too many times, <laughs> so... I think I want to pick a movie that I haven't seen okay, yet. Okay, let's so dig I'll, in. I'll, let's dig it. I'll, like, I'll, dig something else up. Yeah, yeah. I only picked this one because of um, Tenet, which, you know, folks go and see because I'm still trying to figure out whether it's a terrible movie, like it's the worst movie ever made. Is it deep or dumb? Yeah. Yeah. Or is it great? And I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, And it does a lot of this, like trying to explain itself, but the explanation, oh man, it's like, okay, it's like the first, maybe you're right. Like all of these Nolan films, you have to go, they like encourage you to go back and watch them over and over again. This is one where it's like, how about you watch this 25 times and 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 like each time is frustrating um, and then watch it in reverse and then yeah exactly yeah and maybe maybe I'm overthinking it maybe, maybe, no this is good to talk about because I, I feel like what Nolan is doing is he's presenting a puzzle with lots of tiny pieces so you get this box mm-hmm. and you're like oh boy this is the hardest puzzle in the world <laughs> but there is a one clear solution it's like yay I did it Thank you, Master. I, I scored an A. Yeah, and I think Tenet, actually, you could probably and watch I, it once and still get it. And like, but, yeah, twice, but and while I, you're watching it, solving a puzzle then, while watching it is hard. Like the, the Twin Peaks, the reboot, the new season, that's like getting a puzzle and there's only <laughs> three pieces and right. they don't fit together at all. And you're like, what kind of a fucked up puzzle is this? But it's really interesting. <laughs> Well, maybe that's yeah. even better though, because you're yeah, right. Yeah, of like, course. What I yeah. at the end of Tenet, like you're like, okay, well, I've now I see all the puzzle pieces laid out. Thank you very much. At the end of the film, yeah. Um, but that wasn't very enjoyable, you know. Um, and so maybe, and the the way I express joy is like, it's really an aggressive film, and so it's just like, you know, you want to get to this place, and then it's like, no, you're not going to get there because you're too stupid. Like this this place yeah. where. <laughs> Where like the director, you know, in filmmaking or in in video art, there's this idea of an endurance piece. Yeah, and yeah. the feeling uncut gems was kind of like that. The feeling that your you know, yeah your job is to test the limits of your audience, but yeah. when you're testing them to make you look smart and them look stupid, I'm not sure that that's like great art, uh, honestly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I, 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 I like this quote. Uh, it was an interview with Willem de Kooning, the abstract expressionist. And he was saying, yeah, you know, if you want to paint, you shouldn't be too smart. It's not good. It stands in the way. Think, think of Monet. He's just painting a stack of hay in the morning. Doesn't take a big brain. Yeah, I think there's a, but I think I see that even in advertising. Like a lot of times I've tripped myself up and I've seen others trip up over trying to do too much when. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's a fine line because it's, if you're intentionally dumb, it can be very uninteresting as well. So it's, Mm -hmm. I like the the dreamy where the, the intelligence and the feelings and everything are just kind of floating around, nothing solid. Well, there's nothing, there is a thrill. Like I'm watching this um, this show uh, by Peel on, uh, well, here in Canada, it's on HBO, but um, it's... Uh, Jordan Peel. Yeah, the show is called, um, why am I blanking on the show name? But um, it's really, really smart. Um, and you, there's a thrill you get from watching it. Um, where you're like, oh, wow, like he pulled it off. <laughs> you're like, um, and I, I don't know. I think like that, I, I get it. I'm just looking it up for people because I feel stupid. Um, oh, it's Lovecraft. That's it, right? Yeah. But this show, Lovecraft, watch, have you watched it? You should check it out if, no. you, if you haven't. Um, I probably won't. Okay, don't watch it. But our audience can can watch it and it, you know, weaves together like in a post like postmodernism's. I think probably to blame for a lot of what we're talking about here. But you know, where time and meaning and so identity all intersect, and then you arrive at like a grand point um, that is self-critical, right? So it's like it's not actually like um, interstellar. It's like, see, I was wrong all along. <laughs> you know like um that i think that uh is a thrilling thing to see come together on screen because if you're trying to write something like that there's no way you can kind of write it in this narrative sequence you have to think beyond what i was describing earlier to the point where you're like what are the key concepts you know like what and how do the concepts yeah uh, i find this very interesting to talk about because it really gets to the fundamentals so it, it you know, in a way, discussing this movie, I already knew I didn't like it. So what's the point of, of talking about something you don't find interesting? Mm-hmm. But we're getting somewhere. I do think it's interesting to talk about it. And so I think uh, the problem with Interstellar is that it feels like Christopher Nolan beforehand knew where he wanted to be mm-hmm. before he even made the movie. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of work is interesting when you have no idea what you're doing and you release it and you're kind of insecure like i don't know if this is something but I, uh, something inside me told me i had to make this well i think and, and, yeah. and christopher nolan is the opposite of like presenting something that you're not sure about why it mm. exists but you had a feeling it had to exist airtight yeah yeah well that i will say that 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 definitely it feels that way but i did hear one interview where um apparently he wanted there to be a premise in the film where someone travels faster than the speed of light and Kip Thorne was like, that's not possible and I won't allow it in the film. And they actually fought about it for months and therefore that part yeah, that of the film doesn't exist. sounds like the plot exist. of Interstellar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, yeah it, maybe it, that's it, what it, resulted it, in the plot Maybe the itself. opposite of, of uh, Christopher Nolan is uh, 
what's his name? The guy who made Il Posto and the, the Tree of Wooden Clogs that we discussed. Hermano. Olmi, your favorite director? Olmi, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I, I was talking to my friends, uh, Ava and friend Comates, the new media artist uh, from Italy. Mm-hmm. And they studied film. They started out studying film. And one of their teachers was Olmi. Oh, really? Was, oh, yeah, you mentioned was, this in a previous... Yeah, and I was like, how are you guys doing? And I'm like, yeah, I'm watching a lot of movies. What movies? Oh, I just watched The Tree of Wooden Clogs, such a good movie. Who made it? All me. Oh, yeah, he was one of our teachers. I never really understood if he was interesting. He was one of our teachers, so we didn't really want to watch the movies. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like the, the best filmmaker of all time. He's like, yeah, he was kind of weird. So I like this things where you're not sure well a person and a work of art should never be confused probably yeah but i think if you knew christopher nolan was teaching at your school everybody would be like oh be respectful he's the master Hmm. yeah what what you would desire what i would i would rather or prefer would be that he would invite criticism you know like i'm sure he would do all the right things yeah (laughs) only is perfect uh okay well anyway um so I, I, i thought of a movie to watch next time uh, You're really obsessed with figuring movie. this out. It's yeah. like a puzzle for you. <laughs> well, exactly. It's a movie called Bacurau from Brazil. Mm. It's oh, kind great. Of a, we haven't done enough uh, South American filmmaking, so that's a good yeah. idea. Yeah, it's my uh, almost home country. So let's watch that. It's supposed to be sort of an absurdist Western thriller uh, space Okay. Uh, yeah. That sounds great. I mean, I hope our audience doesn't believe that I'm just bringing us back to popcorn and... Um, you know, that's what it's like skittles every time <laughs> but I'm what like, i'm, I'm what, like try, try something uh, try a, a dish from another place and you're like oh mcdonald's has a sale let's go there yeah because i'm really interested at the end of the day i'm interested in reflecting i think you're interested in business i am but i'm also interested in what others are interested in right and so okay okay at that's the end fair. of the day like i think we need to continue this wavelength well then we security. should we should review tiktok right <laughs> well yeah we didn't even get into it like tiktok's a crazy situation over the last two yeah. weeks it developed uh, yeah, yeah. i'm afraid to install tiktok i feel like i would probably just what st- that's what they want you existing. to be afraid of <laughs> no <laughs> i'm like... not afraid of being politically manipulated but i'm afraid that i will just stop working and just be on tiktok all day long mm. i regret i regret buying a share of facebook two weeks ago let me just put it that way did you? Um, yeah, just I was like, hmm, this is interesting. You bought a share of Facebook? I did just to see what it would feel like. And uh, <laughs> that's like buying cigarette uh, company shares or something. Yeah, I've started experimenting with like, what does it feel like to own part of something you hate or. Oh, interesting. Anyway, yeah. it was a bad idea because the stock price sank on like, you know, all of, there's a lot of pressure against Facebook right now. But TikTok, you know, like social media has become almost like nuclear weapons like we were talking about (laughs) who's got the biggest one yeah Yeah. but maybe that's uh we'll work that in next week um yeah thanks everyone for listening i know this is like probably a frustrating christopher nolan film for you to watch (laughs) we're we're not sure what i'm sorry i'm sorry for all the people who love christopher nolan and we broke your heart we legitimately don't know how to do a podcast and we actually don't know what we're going to end up with every week i think we've said that enough times but um Yep. We're figuring, literally figuring it out in front of you. So this is like a, yep. I would say, a cooperative drawing exercise at its exactly. best, and maybe a, a children's crayon drawing on the wall at its worst. Well, actually, those yep. are pretty nice too. <laughs> anyway, thank thanks you for, for listening. Thanks for listening. Let us know uh, if you See figured you out time. Tenet. Yeah. Bye. Okay.